everybody. Welcome to another episode of Design Recharge. I'm really excited to be back. We were at camp for a month. We were alive. If anybody was worried, we we were alive. We are alive. And many of us are back. And I appreciate seeing everybody in the chat. I'm excited to introduce you to my friend, Will Bryan. Will and I met at Creative South. I am thankful to have Will. We just kept passing each other. And I always think that's just a sign from God saying, hey, you need to be friends with this person. It was like five times. I was like, hey, do you want to eat lunch? I was eating lunch with some other people. And then Will and I got to be friends and he has an amazing story. And I think it's going to be one that will hopefully bring you some hope. He does some amazing work and we're going to talk about hate. We're going to talk about bringing on some of the hate. And it's funny. It's a way to flip it. People don't be like, oh my gosh, what happened? She went to camp and came back a hater. Nope. It's a good way to think about it. And I can't wait. But we met years ago. I want you to give people a little bit of background. Talk about an overachiever. That's Will. Because he played football at SEC school. So you people who don't know about SEC football, it's super impressive actually to play at an SEC school. But he didn't just play. He had an academic scholarship, which again, very difficult to do. And he studied design. But I don't want to tell all the whole thing. So Will, can you give him a little bit of your background from growing up, like where you grew up, and then how you went to school there and then studying and stuff like that? Sure. So it's funny you said Andre is from Portugal because I actually was born in Portugal. Yes. Actually, I was born in the Azor Islands off the coast of Portugal. My dad was in the Air Force. And I am looking forward to going back, planning a trip as soon as possible. But, but yeah, I grew up an artist, drew uh, fantastically coming out of the womb. So it was something genetic that was passed in to me from my father and grandfather, who were both very good artists, but neither of them did anything with it. They both were in the military. And so I drew paint. I was the guy that everybody knew in school that was like the go-to guy that could do all the painting and drawing and stuff. So a cool story was in high school, one of the things that we did in school was they had a, like a, a calendar that they had all the artwork throughout the like, school year. And like I got the cover of this calendar several times. And so one of the local subway stations was opening up and wanted me to paint a mural in their subway station of the same thing that I had on this calendar. And it was a football player and he was doing the Heisman pose. I was a sports nut. And he had... We were the Swansea Tigers was our high school mascot. And he had like tiger stripes on them and a visor that was reflective and a pink lightning bolt coming down, blowing up and reflecting all on his visor and all this stuff. And it was really cool. So they asked me if I I was probably 16, maybe 16. And somehow the owner of this guy tracked me down and he's, hey, would you paint this on our wall? And what would you charge to paint it? Had no idea whatsoever. So I'm like... $150. And so then I go to Lowe's and buy $110 worth of paint and and then proceed to paint this mural. The awesome thing was is that I was playing baseball at the time in high school. And so I would actually have to go to baseball practice and then come and paint at this place afterwards. And everybody who worked there went to high school with me. And so they, part of the deal was I got to eat while I was there. So I strung out this mural as long as I possibly could so that I could have like meatball subs every single day for the whole time that I was in high school. So anyway, I finished. It turned out great. The owner ended up paying me $350 because he knew that I'd make any money off of it. But I actually started painting murals from then on out after that. And so when I even when I was in college, I would go to Atlanta for the whole month of May, which is the only month that you get off if you're a football player and just paint the entire time that I was there. And that made me 
me enough money to, to last for the rest of the year and eventually paid for my girlfriend, now wife's engagement ring, painting murals in Atlanta this summer. Wow, that is amazing. Yeah, so I started with that, but when I was in college, so I moved all over when I was a kid because my dad was in the Air Force, lived in Sacramento, California, uh, lived in Valdosta, Georgia, I lived in Portugal, and then my grandfather was a retired cook from Fort Jackson in Columbia, South Carolina. And so when my dad got out of the Air Force, we moved to South Carolina to be near my grandparents. And so that's where I went to high school. And that's how I ended up going to the University of South Carolina. But when I went to school, I got a full academic and art scholarship to the University of South Carolina. So that made it very easy for me to decide where to go. Did you know about graphic design? Did you know that was a thing? Absolutely not. So I went as a to go to for a fine art degree. And part of the kind of requirements was Computer Arts 101, which is basically introduction to Photoshop. And I went to that class and my mind was blown because it was the first time that I had actually done what was graphic design using a computer as a tool for design work. And it just, it just literally like blew my mind just how much it opened up of what you could do versus the traditional background of drawing and painting and et cetera. And from there I figured out, hey, there's a profession called graphic design that's actually marketable and has a salary and you could build a life on kind of thing as opposed to the you know, traditional starving artist thought process. Made, made my major graphic design, did my undergrad in graphic design. And then when I got out, I was playing football at the same time. And it's not as sexy as you make it out to be Diane in the sense that I did tear both of my ACLs in four years that I was playing there. And so I spent probably more time on crutches than I did on the field. But it was a really cool experience. It takes a lot. That's a, It's a lot. It's a big commitment. So one, you ha- don't have commitment issues because you've mm-hmm. committed to it's a team. It's not like you win the game. Even just playing your part, if you're encouraging others, even if you're on the side lines on crutches but you were there and you were putting the effort in and take something and these even the second string third string these they have cuts we've seen the movie rudy people haven't we like not everybody gets to get dress out you may be on the team but you don't always get to dress out i just think it's impressive as a professor i know how much time they are away from the classroom and I know how much time as an art professor, design professor, I know how much time we require them to be in the classroom. And that's a lot, mm-hmm. much more than getting a business degree. I spent degree. many late nights in the computer lab working on projects after practice. But, but yeah, it was cool. It is an amazing experience. Not many people get to run out to 80, 90,000 screaming fans, that kind of thing for a sport. It was a very cool experience. Uh, and I got to play for Lou Holtz, which is a Hall of Fame coach. And so it was really neat being able to you know, be coached up under him. But that wasn't just it. You also, because you are eligible for five years, you were, you, in that fifth year, you started your master's and then you finished it in the, your sixth year, but you weren't playing football anymore. Yeah. So whenever I got my undergrad degree, job market wasn't fantastic. I knew I had talent, but I didn't want to be one of those people who made a lot of amazing things, but somebody else made all the money off of them because they didn't know the business. And I had another year of eligibility for football. So I went straight into my master's degree and got my master's degree in integrated mass communications, which is a media management degree. And you learn media economics, management, developing communication plans, media law, stuff I use all the time now. And oh, so are you being business. sarcastic? No, no, absolutely. Okay, because yeah, I was thinking that you probably do have to use it. Yeah. You were a wide receiver, Hannah was asking, so because we both went to SEC. We went to Auburn, so we were. Okay. Yes, I was a wide receiver. And yeah, so whenever I was there, we were terrible. 
my first year. I think we were like, we were, the year before I came, we were one and 10. The first year I was there, we were 0 and 11. We went through seven quarterbacks in one year. It was Lou Holtz's first year. And then the next two years, we turned it around and beat Ohio State in the Outback Bowl and tore down like pretty much like every other goalpost in the SEC that year. And then they actually, that was the last year you could tear down goalposts. Like mm-hmm. that's after that, they started making them where they're collapsible. And so yeah, it was a cool time. My mom's yeah. here. She loves football. I'm drinking out of my Georgia koozie upside down, not on purpose. It was upside down, just the bottom broke out. So mom, I'm not converting or anything, but I'm just real excited. She was, I was like, he, he played football, mom. Amity was an art major. Okay, but let's get to the part that, okay, so you go get your master's, which I think is amazing. I'm really excited that you got your master's in something else besides that you actually use, but mm-hmm. you also started your business. When did you start it? And did you start it in Columbia? So when I was in grad school, I started working for one of the bigger and with no interest of actually working there long-term. I just wanted to see how the machine worked and see what was real and what was fake and be on the other side of it. And then after grad school, instead of going to work there full-time, I went to work for a startup hybrid studio, which was an a creative agency media production company, which I really like the idea of being able to have that media production side of it, keep doing a lot of different creative things and also be able to build something from the ground up because it was small and new. So I was there for 11 years and did everything from commercials and animation and graphic design and website development, literally like everything. You could never get bored. But I got to the point to where I felt like I'd done everything that I was going to do there and I was going about to start another cycle of doing the same thing over again. And I felt I wasn't interested in that. It was time to move on. And in 2015 is when I started working for myself. And I stepped out with one foot in two different things. One was in Will Bryan Design, which is doing design and consulting work. And the other was I had the opportunity to help co-found a tech startup. And so for the first two years, I was not committed fully, have one foot in both buckets to see if the tech startup was ever going to get traction. Because if it did, I would have to do that full time. And I didn't want to have a bunch of clients built up that I had to say goodbye to because of of the move. But the tech company didn't get the traction. And it, at the, the deadline by which I said, okay, if it doesn't, then I'm going to fully commit to a brand design. So that's what happened. So since 2015, I've been working for myself. And so, which is crazy because that's five years ago and it does not seem like it's been that long at all. And we'll talk about this a little bit, but in the sense of, so during the school year, I'm in South Carolina. And then soon as school is out, we head elsewhere. You have two daughters and those daughters go to school. It's not just because yes. you like to traffic. Okay. I'm not a professor, but yes, I have two little girls. And so, yeah, and I've been working for myself for five years now. I do brand design and consulting. I focus mainly on clients who work in the health and education and environmental areas who are trying to help people improve their lives. And that's what I've been doing for five years now. And it's been really ridiculously amazing, really ridiculously amazing how not a single day has gone by that it's not been like, this has been the best choice of my life. Every metric of measurable whatever has improved since working for myself and consider myself very blessed in that sense. Was that a hard decision to go fully on your own or because Uh, you're not afraid of commitment, you were like, hey, buddy, this didn't work out. We're moving on. Yeah, I knew, I knew just internally, personally, it was time. The kind of the question was, am I going to go work with someone else some somewhere else or you know, or I'm gonna do my and I just knew because I'd been mentoring a lot of tech startup companies for marketing and for design and it was just one of those things to where I was like, I'm helping a ton of other business owners 
who, and in many ways, I know way more than what they know from my experience. And yet, it doesn't really make sense for me not to have any equity in the company that I'm working for whenever it just makes so much more sense to be able to have your own ships. So it made a lot of sense to me that I needed to be working for myself. And But yeah, it was a big step. But my wife and I had made a lot of smart decisions early on in our marriage that we based all of our finances on the idea of a single income, even whenever we were both working. And so that the idea was always one of us was going to stay home if, whenever we had kids. And so we didn't want all of our debt and everything to be a burden whenever that happened. But we just kind of kept with that. And whenever it was time to decide to go work for yourself, we didn't have a lot of financial burden at the time other than a mortgage. And so what we needed to be able to pay the bills actually was much lower than what somebody might typically be in the same situation. That's pretty amazing. But this isn't it. This is, we got, I got a lot more questions, but Will's actually going to teach us something. He has a framework. And I think what I wanted to prove to y'all is that he's done this. He's been successful and he has been just as busy during COVID as any other time. But I love the kind of background of that you, you saw and you were helping all these entrepreneurs and you were helping them take these next steps because it was stuff that you had learned, but you were also helping them with their design and their communication. So I love that because this is stuff that we have under, a lot of us have some of the same stuff under our belt. So I'm ready for you to teach us if you're ready. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to switch over here. This is very informal in the sense of uh, this is only about what you guys are getting out of it. So please, by all means, stop and ask questions. All right. One of the things that I have taught myself through my experiences of designing is how to choose design clients and projects, like what to say yes to, what to say no to. And so I've made this easy to remember thing of no, do, and grow as a framework to help me decide whether or not I should take on a new client or a new project. And I think it will help a lot of other people potentially. I hope it does. But let's start off with a Venn diagram that all of us are very familiar with, or most of us are, but it's the whole good, cheap, fast diagram with the whole idea of being picked to, right? And so it's a, as a designer, you can get good work, you can get fast work, you can get cheap work, but you can't get all three of them. And so this is like, you could Google this and find a hundred thousand versions of this on. But the problem with this is using it as a framework for a lot of designers is that focus of this is what a client wants. It's how a client decides whether they're going to work with you, whether it's good and fast and cheap. And so what the no-do grow is a different diagram per se. And more of this question of this is what do you want from a client? And, and so I'll, I'll break this down of this is at least for me, how I think through this. And so the no portion of this is doing work that you want to be known for. So is this a client or is this a project that you want other people to know that this is the type of work that you do. And that can be, this is the type of client that I work with. This can be, this is the style or craft or approach that I take to the work that I'm doing. This can be, uh, this type of work or client has a specific mission that I'm passionate about or can be a specific industry. So the question is, is whenever you have the opportunity to work with a project or a client, is this work that I want other people to know that I do? So 
that's the the no part of this is in the sense of you want this type of work to be very visible and not very visible in the sense of it has to be uh, a national client of Target or an Apple or somebody, but in the sense of this is what you want to be visible for you. If you were making portfolio pieces, it's, it's well known that you get the kind of work that you do. You get the kind of work that you also show. This is the work that you want other people to see and you want your name to be tied to it. The second part of this is dough. Which we, which we all understand this, absolutely. If you're working for yourself as a graphic designer, you understand what it means to have a client or work, a client or work that pays well. And so this is where a lot of us focus at. It's, okay, how do I get well-paying clients? How do I get big projects? How do I get money every single month? So this one doesn't need all that much explanation. But the process behind this as well, though, is there is work that you can do that can make money that can provide for you, that can take stress off of you, that doesn't necessarily have to be part of your portfolio, that people don't ever know that you have to ever know that you did it as long as it pays the bills. Is the question, is it a good return on investment? Is the time that I'm putting into this less than the money that I'm going to get out of it? And if it is, then it's, again, it's a good way to think about whether you should take on a client or project. So this is very profitable. And then the last one, which is very important, which I think a lot of us completely overlook, is do work that makes you grow. And so this is the idea of, is it something that's going to be a new technique that you've never done before? Is it going to cause you to travel to a new place that you've never been? Are you going to be able to work with talented people that you haven't had a chance or opportunity to work with before? Or is it a new problem that you're having to solve? Or these are the ways that you're going to improve as a person, improve as a designer, just grow as an individual. And that doesn't have to happen on the weekends. It can happen as a part of your everyday work if you make it a priority. This this part about the growing is Mm -hmm. it's important that, because for a lot of us, we get in a rut. And that's when we either change jobs or because we don't feel like we're growing anymore. So you're saying that you're, by deciding clients to work with that are people that are going to be pushing you, you don't have to necessarily know everything, but you can get through a project, even if it's something that is not something that you have all the answers to, but you're resourceful that you can get through them is, or it's like new people or new place that you wanted to visit, or it's not just always about technique. It may be a new industry to break into. Yeah, absolutely. And the idea that, so for any design problem, there's, there's a hundred solutions as long as it's meeting its objectives. And so the question is, even this doesn't have to be like the big picture of, do I work with this client? Maybe you're already working with this client, but there's 10 different possible solutions to this project that I'm working on. But if it's up to you, then why not choose the one that's something that you haven't done before that you, that's going to help you make you learn something? Because a lot of us, we get in this default of what's the fastest way to get this done. I know I can do it this way. I can use this, I can use this technique. I can, I've done this a thousand times. Let me just do it a thousand and one times. And, and you end up, you can get out on a lot of different, in a lot of different ways. And so taking this approach to it is always looking for something that's going to help you grow in your skills and knowledge and experience. And so it's a question to ask when you have a new opportunity. So instead of the, the good, fast, cheap, which is what a client might look at of trying to decide whether to work with you, what I do is I say to myself, is this work that I want other people to know that I'm that I do? Is this work that is going to be profitable for the time that I put into it? And is this work that is going to help me grow in some some way? And whether it's very visible, very profitable, and new and experimental. If it's any 
any of these things, then it's something that I likely would say, yes, if it has overlap between those, if it's something that pays well and I get to try something new or travel to a new place or work with new people, then it's a no-brainer. If it's something that's very visible and it's going to cause me to do something that I've never done before, then it's a no-brainer. If it pays well, it's very visible, and it's new and experimental, then it's a you know, and you want to live there for the rest of your life if all possible. But you've had some of those clients. You've had some of those projects that do fit into that, but it's having kind of a framework of, do I accept this job? And at the end of it, you can look back and say, okay, was this what I was expecting? Was it as visible? Was the work, is that going to be something that I'm going to use in my portfolio or do I want to be known for? Was it as profitable? Like the mural you were saying when you were a kid, like probably not super profitable, but at least you worked it out. So you got some meatball subs in there, right? Yeah. And then in the sense of, and I learned so much from doing that. Like I made zero, zero dollars. I take that back. I made a thousand dollars in meatball subs. Easy. But I learned so much from painting that mural. That company actually brought me, hired me the next summer to, to paint two mur- two more murals. And then, like I said, it, like when I was in college, I painted murals the whole, every summer while I was there. And I learned from those. Paul's saying, I love the simple framework. Well, it helps explain why money isn't everything. And absolutely, because our creativity isn't just driven by funds. Now we have to have funds to live, but for our creativity to keep uh, staying alive. And Andre said it as well. It's very important in particular if you're getting tired of what, you do, what you're doing. It keeps the fire going. Yes. And, that's, and this is where I see so many designers get at some point is they're doing work that, and like, so like I said, this focuses on what you want. So they're doing work that they don't really care if somebody knows. It's not sexy work by whatever measure, metric you measure it by. They're not really making a lot of money off of it. And it's something that they've done a thousand times. And this is the thing that drives designers to get burnt out and say, why am I doing this? I don't care if anybody sees this. I'm not really making any money from this. I'm not really learning or growing from this. I've done this over and over again. And and I hate to see that because I believe that design has every power to be a force for good in the world and solve a lot of problems. And I just think that if we reframe as designers the way that we think about stuff, that we're empowered to not just take what comes to us. If somebody asks you to do something, you don't have to say yes. We kind of default to that because we're like, hey, we have to pay the bills. But there's more ways to think about it. And growth and marketability and money are all things that go into that that process. So if you don't care if anybody knows about it, if you're not making much money from it, if you won't learn anything for new from doing it, then for me, that's a hard pass. And so I say that's a project or that's a client that you would not work with. And so that is the way, the framework that I use to help me think through, hey, is this a client and a project that I want to work with? And it's worked well for me. And hopefully it might be something that some of the rest of you guys might want to think about when you're looking through the projects and the clients that you work with now. Think about, put them in the buckets. Is this something that I want people to know about? Is it something that's making a lot of money? Is it something that's causing me to grow in my experiences and my skills and my knowledge and relationships? And if it's not, then you might want to consider kicking it to the curb. So that's no grow. Okay. So then do you do some sort of analysis after the fact when you're in the beginning, when you're in, when did you start implementing this? It's been a gradual process the whole time. So when I first started working for myself and when, like I said, the first two years where I kept a foot in each bucket, whenever I fully committed, one of the things was I really 
really ask myself, why am I doing this? So all of us, a lot of us focus on what uh, or how, but a lot of us don't ask the question of why. And so for me, it was quality of life. I wrote down and I actually wrote, the, I usually actually write these down. That's like in a journal, like pretty regularly throughout the week, at least once a week, if not more often. But I put down some goals for me for working and doing the work that I do. And it's create work that I'm proud of and that I enjoy the process of creating and enjoying the process of creating is actually a really big thing because there's so much work that we might love how it turned out, but we hate how it got there. Whether it was working crazy hours, whether it was working with ridiculous clients, whether it was whatever it is, there's a lot of us that make work that might be happy with the end product, but we hated the process. I want to make work I'm proud of and enjoy the actual process because it's 99% of the process. Like delivering it is the last little piece. I'm proud of and enjoying the process of creating it is the first. Second is having a positive impact on my community. Third is having positive relationships with my clients and my vendors and my fellow creators. Third is being financial or fourth is being financially profitable enough to not have to stress about money and ideally be an extravagant giver if I have more than what I need. But my financial goal, I obviously have like real financial goals as far as retirement and everything else. But in general, my financial goal is to have make enough money that I don't have to stress about money. If I'm not having to stress about it, then I'm making enough. So that's what that's where I'm defining success for me. And then continually growing in experiences, knowledge, and skills. And then the last thing is prioritizing time with my family over work and integrating the two of them whenever possible. And so if I'm doing those things, then that's how I define success for me. And so you can say, what do you see yourself doing in five years? It doesn't matter what I'm doing. If I'm doing those, I'm going to be successful. And so that's where this has grown out of, out of that. And, and so it's been an organic thing that I'm just continually asking myself these kind of big questions of why. Continually like every day or continually like once a month, once a week? Continually in the sense of just being intentional Mm -hmm. about it. Like in the sense of, yeah, like you're saying, is consistently looking at the work that I'm doing. Like, hey, it seems like for the last two months, everything that I've been doing has made a lot of money, but it ha- I've been doing the exact same thing over and over again. I need to proactively look for an opportunity to do something different. And like I said, there's a lot of choices that we have designers have control over within ourselves. It's up to us. So instead of making that choice to do it the same way that I've done it a hundred times, then do something else. For an example, I had the opportunity uh, a while back to be the creative director for what wouldn't be very visible for me. It's for the South Carolina State Fair. So this was not one that I was locally it's super visible. It's like the largest event in the state of South Carolina. Two million people go do this thing. But and they had a budget that was good enough to do something really creative with. And they had I had full control over what I wanted to do with it. And so out of all the solutions of coming up with what we could do for this campaign, like I decided to do old school hand cut stop motion animation paper campaign. And and it was because I'd always had an interest in it, had never done it, and it would allow me to work with some really cool talented people it was something i'd never done before and i had to do a lot of research to figure out because i like literally went like old school walt disney like how did they do this back in the day i had to build like an actual like light cabinet and do experimentation and stuff and uh, and so anyway again it was just a local a local project for a local client doing a, a local tv commercial but I absolutely loved the process of it, loved how it turned out because it was so unique and so different and I learned so much from it and nobody asked me to do that. 
that was my choice. And now I can make a stop motion paper animation if I want to. I love that. Okay, so Paul's asking, can you show the hard pass slide again before you stop your screen share? Because he wants to memorize this question. Sure. If you don't care if anybody knows, if you are not making much money and if you won't learn anything new, then for me, it's a hard pass. And on the other side of that is if you want people to know that you do this work, if you are making good money from it, and if you're going to learn something new, then by absolutely all means, say yes. And that's the no to grow. Okay, so one more question before you stop your screen share. Your left-handed WB, your hand, your Hannah wanted to know, Slow. yeah, why uh, a handprint? Just in the sense of, I think it's just one of the most personal marks that there that exist and I feel like my design business and relationship I just want it to be as personal as it can be because if you're working with me it's about a relationship not just a relationship between me and you but a relationship between what we're working on together and what we're putting out into the world I just felt like uh, a hand is just so personal that I thought it was a really good fit so Kent says are you left-handed and Hannah wants to know is that your handprint I am not left-handed, and it is a modified version uh, of my handprint. That's great. Uh, so Amy my- found your Here Comes the Fun. So it's in the chat for you guys to click it. You can see the stop motion. Thank you, mm-hmm. Amy, is now our Vanna. Just- yes. Yeah, so I got to work with some really great, talented people with that. One was Lion Hill, who is a creative director for the Columbia Marionette Theater uh, and knows how to work inanimate characters in expressive ways. Another one was Kimi Maida, who is a very talented paper artist, and she is actually living in Japan now. And and yeah, we like locked ourselves up in a theater for a month to make that 30-second stop-motion commercial, along with some posters and other things that are static. But, but yeah, it's a cool experience. All right, so do you want to stop your screen share or did you have anything sure. at the very end? Okay, great. Now we got it. We got your face bigger and we can see. Okay, I love that. I love the framework because a lot of times people are like, oh, I don't know when to say no to something or when to say yes to something. So when you finish your, Paul says he loves that video, so clever. Lots of people. Amy loved it. Matt loved it. So thank you for sharing that. Okay, and Dee says this model is, she really liked that model, or I think that's what she's saying. Thanks for sharing that. I'm reading in, but she's my friend, so I feel like I can do that. So you have this unique, we got to talk about the hate, right? So (laughs) most people say do what you love, but you also talk to me about doing what you hate. This is a really big perspective shift because just that you gave to me and I loved it. Can you explain it a little bit? Sure, absolutely. So young designers everywhere, your mentors are all going to say, do what you love. And it's like the classic go-to of how do I approach life going forward? What do I do with what I have? And so I flip that on your head, on the on its head, and I say, I do what I hate. And that goes back to the idea that I think design can solve a lot of problems in the world. And so there are a lot of things in this world that I hate, one of them being cancer. Another one is people being hungry and not having access to clean drinking water. It's doing things in ways that pollute our environment and cause us to lose time with our families. There are so many things in this world that are totally worthy of our hate. And that's the approach that I take with my work. It's in the sense of instead of doing what you love, do what you hate. And what I do is try to use design to make those things better. As a designer, I think there's so many problems in the world are communication problems. If we communicated much better, we could get along and get a lot of things figured out a lot of ways. And I think design is one of the tools that we can use to do that. 
Uh, and I think we have a lot of power as graphic designers and as communicators and to address the things that you hate in the world and make them better. So when it comes to helping people live better lives, when it comes to helping people thrive, when it comes to just making our world a better place to live in in whatever incremental way, there's a lot of things that I hate that are keeping it from doing that. And so I try to use my time in a way that uh, addresses those things and basically redeems them and turns them into something that doesn't exist in the way that they do. So I'm really looking forward to finding a cure for cancer and letting my graphic design be one of the things that contribute to that. I love that. That's also having a big vision of how you can impact the world with design, with communication. And I think that sometimes we maybe don't believe that we will really have an impact, but I believe we do. And I love that you're giving a really bold, and I love that. That's great. But there, okay, so I'm skipping ahead because this goes with what we're talking about right now. You told me that your business hasn't slowed down. And one of the things that started our conversation was you do these big things like events and it has their, it's environmental graphics or it's what it used to be called. Jacob would get all over me because it's called experiential graphics now, but it's been called a bunch of things since you and I have been in the business. And, but you do a lot of, and I was worried because I was like, wow, I knew you were traveling, you were going place and meeting with clients and the state fair, that's a big thing with people and the do something with a march on for on DC for cancer. And those are things where COVID really could really affect. But again, I love this going back to your handprint, that personal touch, having that relationship and really building those relationships long term, that you are not just a pixel pusher, you are actually a problem solver and you're going in and helping them with that. I love this. Okay. So you told me that it hasn't slowed down since COVID hit and that, and I want to know what things you have done to make your business pandemic proof. I had a very proactive plan on making my business pandemic proof five years ago whenever I started. No, nobody <laughs> saw this coming. Nobody saw the pandemic coming. But just what you said of having relationships that are meaningful and full of trust and having a track record of being able to help solve problems and not just take orders has been key. Yes, I know so many people have been hit hard by COVID-19 and it's killed work for so many industries. And just because just events being shut down has hurt so many designers, like all the stuff that goes into that. Thankfully for me, I had a lot of long-term projects that were already in the works. But at the same time, one of the key things was that nobody had ever done this before. Like everybody had to figure out new stuff. What do we do now? So for instance, the what was called on Congress was a, an event that where cancer survivors were supposed to come from all over the country to DC to be able to talk to local, to their representatives and senators and talk about the importance of continuing to fund research for, for cancer research. And then COVID-19 hit and that got scrapped. And so then the question wasn't, okay, do we, what do we, in the sense of we're not going to do any, not going to sit here and do nothing. Like how do we make this a virtual event now? So then you're in this process of, okay, everything that we designed for on the ground is thrown out the window. Now, how do we accomplish the same objective? We're still trying to get our local representatives and our senators to be able to continue to provide funding for cancer research. How do we do that virtually now? And how do we do it fast? And so then we had to design and we had to come up with a plan. Like, how do we communicate this? How do we get people involved online? What are all the assets that need to be created? And it took away a lot of things that people had planned, but it also created a bunch of new opportunities. 
opportunities as well to be able to problem solve in a new way and use design to be able to help to do those things. And so I did also uh, thankfully I was able to be able to contribute to some things on that front during this this time. Hopefully it'll be the last time that we have to do that. I hope so too. So when did you I have two questions that weren't on the sheet. So when did sure. you start doing working with these cancer people? Mm-hmm. I don't know what to call them. Cancer, I don't know. Sure. That's just the cancer charge people. And because that, again, has to do with building that relationship. Was it just something that was a couple months long or was this somebody you'd been working with for years? No. So when I was back working with the, my, the agency that I was with for 11 years, that's actually whenever I had the opportunity to start doing some of the projects and work with some of the people that I, even that I work with now to this day. And it was just that at that time, it just resonated with me so much more how much I enjoyed working on those type projects because the reality is I don't know that I work with anybody that I wouldn't work with for free now if I was just independently wealthy. That's another framework idea for you. It's in the sense of I literally don't know that I work with anybody or work on any project that I wouldn't do for free if I didn't have any need for for money. And so yeah, just like everybody else, I've had close people who have passed away from cancer and and just absolutely want to punch the disease in the face. But but some of the people, like, so for instance, one of my clients, the president of, so the president of Fight Colorectal Cancer, which is one of the eight clients I work with right now, I've been working with her for 10 years and she's with multiple different organizations. And so like she's went from organization to organization or whatever else. And, and it's been a long-term relationship with a lot of people and a lot of these organizations that I, that I work with. And it's just one of those things to where I build up a body of knowledge around these different things as well working on them over the years, which also adds a lot of value to what I can bring on the design front. So this is another question that wasn't on my sheet, but now pops up. So if you have done this, then how do you keep up with these people? Because I also think that this is a problem or uh, it's a, a challenge for us and we're working, we're doing stuff. How do you make sure that you're keeping up with the cancer lady. Again, not a good name for her. Sorry. In the sense of, you mean in Touching the sense- with clients that you really like that you're not currently working on a project, but you keep in mind because as she changes jobs, she might not always need a designer right then that project. But then how do you stay top of mind with her? Oh, one, I actually very limit the number of clients that I work with. So I, I want to work with few clients. So in the sense of my thought process is when I say growing my company, like growing my business, growing my design firm, like most people think bigger, more clients, bigger clients, more designers. And I think the exact opposite of that, again, for the idea of just wanting to keep stress low in my life, like all that stuff brings stress. What I want to do is solve bigger problems and have bigger impact. And so what I look at is those type of things. And so when it comes to my clients that I work with, it's and this is the case for a lot of designs, but it's super relational. If I'm no longer working with a client, like I still have that client as a friend. So like you're no you're never not on my radar if we've worked together before because I only work with together with people that that whether we're kindred spirits or have a, a same passion or whatever else. And so it's just one of those things to where I, I guess going back to the, having meaningful, positive relationships is I want every interaction I have with people to be something that's more than a transaction. I want it to be about a connection and a relationship and the fact that I might have some things that can help you and you might have some things that can help me. But at the end of the day, I want us to be people who appreciate the fact that we're human beings that are that 
enjoy each other. And it's, maybe it's also being of the same mindset of working with people that also want to make the world a better place and being those impact people or having those people that also, because if they know you want to do good work and they want to do big, good work, then they then you work together, you will for sure be that person that they think of. And again, it's, oh, he's known for hot dogs. Oh, great. But it, now you're known for big impact, big, big problems and sol- solving big problems and making a big impact. And that's no matter what your clients are bec- and, and that personal touch that you are doing everything you can. And I, I just, I love that. I love that new kind of shift on what growing a business can be. I think Dee and John are probably digging into this as well because they have some very similar things. How would you tell somebody who is really trying to, and I'm not sure if this can happen with a client that already exists. Okay. I'm really working on trying to finish sentences. Did you notice I didn't finish the first one? Here we go. (laughs) What I'm trying to do is, so if somebody is trying to shift from being that pixel pusher, they have these ideas, but nobody's listening to them like that. So they have, they are just pushing pixels for people. But really, they want to be that problem solver. How do you transform in a client's mind or have you done that in the past? All right. So this kind of gets into the area of where one of the things I see is a huge difference between young rookie designers, which kind of more mature designers who've went through the, the gauntlet, is a big part of that is what we, what we were just talking about, is knowing what clients to ever engage with to begin with. So a huge part of overcoming a lot of hurdles is seeing what the red flags are or the green flags are for a potential client, organization, business, and being able to identify those things and then say, this is an excellent fit. They understand what value I'm bringing. They respect what I do. I respect what they do and they'll respect the process. And so it's this mutual respect and shared mission come along with it. And so there's so many of us that work for people who just see design as as an order taker. And you can very much be an order taker as a designer. Somebody comes to you and says, we need your service, do this. And you can do it and have a transaction and pay your bills. And a lot of people are happy doing that. But you also have the opportunity to be a problem solver and say, hey, this is an issue that I think you can help us with. What should we do in this case? Or what can we do? What are our options? And so finding clients that or organizations or projects that that have that same mindset and only with them. Like I said, this is that no do growth thing. Like you are empowered as a designer to say yes or no. Because when you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. You only have a limited amount of bandwidth. Like I'm very much aware of that. And as a father and as a husband, like I protect that exponentially more than I ever did whenever I was younger. But you have a limited amount of bandwidth. So when you say yes to a bad client, a bad project, something that's not a good fit, then you're saying no to the opportunity to someone else that is a good fit. And so for those who who want to move from one to the other, one of the things is some people are working for somebody else. And whenever I was working for somebody else, I had a limited ability to control what I did. When I started working for myself, I had all of the ability. So there's pros and cons to it. But in the sense of if you really want the control to be able to say, this is what I do. This is who I do it for. This is the type of people I work with. This is what I charge. Then you need to be the one who's at the top of that that decision-making process. And that typically comes with 
you you running your own business. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so I, I realized what time it is, and we have three minutes, <laughs> but I got to ask you this question, and maybe this is just the start of another top, another call we have, but why, because you hinted at this, but you are really passionate about helping young designers get, take, maybe, or maybe it's not necessarily that you're young, but it's taking that place of going from that just a pixel pusher because you have more in you. I do think it takes some guts to step out with your boss and say, hey, could we try it this way? But if you're not ever trying and if you're not showing your boss that you're doing anything different, then they'll never see you as this. Boss, client, same thing. If they never see that you can do this, they will never see you as that. So why is young design, why, or people that are new to that part of the business, why are they, is that, why does that tug on your heart? So this is a whole nother, this is a whole nother podcast. Talk about this for a lot because it goes into a bigger picture, but, but in the sense of most designers learn all these things by going through it and learning the hard way. They worked too much. They made too little. They realized that they just spent five years working on something that they look back on say, Hey, that really wasn't that important. And one of the things, and I think you might've had on your list of questions about a quote, but one of the quotes that really I've always loved by Francis Chan, who's the author of Crazy Love and a good teacher, he says, our greatest fear should not be of failure, but of succeeding at things in life that don't really matter. And I think that is very profound and, and it's very true of a lot of us. And especially a lot of young designers are pursuing, pursuing success but I don't know that they're pursuing success in something that really matters. And so there's a lot of people who have a lot of fantastic Instagrams with a lot of ton of likes, but their quality of life at home isn't that great, or they're not really finding fulfillment in what they're doing. And I want, I don't want anybody to like waste 10 to 15 years of their life before mm -hmm. they realize, Hey, I should have been doing something different. I wish somebody would have told me a long time ago, that there was a different way to do it. And so that's what, when I say I have a kind of a passion for, for younger designers, or it's really for any designer that to find their way is that it's, I want you to define find success for yourself and pursue that, not to find somebody else's definition of success. Mm. Because, you know, at best we have a hundred years or so, and it doesn't take that long to get through them. And unfortunately, we can burn through a big chunk of that before we ever realize, hey, we might have just wasted a lot of time doing something that we wish we wouldn't have. Yeah, for sure. Okay, I'm highlighting ones we got to get done the next time, for sure. Okay, so <laughs> I'm going to ask you this one. How do you recharge and what inspires you? I recharge by traveling. Hit on that, which we can, again, talk about. I know I have really it as part two. That's a huge part of my setup every year. Like I said, we're in South Carolina, but we're not in South Carolina. We're world citizens. So traveling Traveling to new places and meeting new people. Absolutely and living. Richer. You actually go and live yeah. for as yeah. soon as the girls get out of school, y'all go and you have a place that you stay and you become part of that community. Yeah, yeah. We don't tourist. We literally go live in other places. And San Francisco is our heart, our second home where our heart is. So we go there every chance that we get, but we go all over. Like last summer, we spent the whole summer in New York City and traveling, meeting new people who are inspiring always refresh me. And then on the inspiration side, like this is going to give me so many points, but my wife, Katie, is ridiculously inspiring to me. She's the most disciplined person I know. She constantly wants to grow. She, on every level, she wants life to be better tomorrow than it was today. And she's looking at it in the sense of how great our lives are going to be whenever we're 80 and 90 years old. And she's doing the things today that need we need to do to enjoy life when we're 80 and 90 years old. And I've like being in a place where a lot of people are really complacent 
and just really happy to say I got a few more years until retirement and then I can just sit on the couch. Um, like that does not appeal to me at all. And my wife, did, and it does not appeal to her. And, and anyway, she inspires me all the time because of her long-term view of taking the, getting the most out of life. That's awesome. Okay. So what's next for you? So you, we have some things. I'm going to share your links and you can tell them why the last link says we're looking for, you, for a few good designers filled with hate. So next thing. So one of the things that I hate is old, ugly parts of town that are all run down and forgotten about. And one of the big projects I have right now is here in the Columbia area. I proactively pitched an art district to the city of Casey where we live, which I'm like, Hey, if you want me to help you do this turnkey, here's what it would cost go find the money and I'll do it for you. And they came back six months later and said, we got a grant, so go do it. So I'm like, got four different buildings, two sculptures, some street art, branding an art district. Like all that's got to happen between now and the end of October. Wow. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. And, but in the link that you said, I'm always looking for other designers, illustrators, animators, copywriters to work with on different projects or different clients and just to create new relationships with. Uh, so we got a link on my website and it's literally just a link to email me directly and introduce yourself. Maybe send your, your portfolio over and say, hey, if you do freelance work or you work for yourself and you're interested in maybe uh, seeing a Frisica Fit on a project to work together, by all means, reach out to me. All right. So I just want for everybody who's listening, the links will be below or if you're on YouTube watching this later, but it is Will. If you go to Instagram, it's Will Brian, B-R-Y-A-N Design. No S on the end, just Will Brian Design. That's also willbriandesign.com. And then if you want to do that thing he just said about going with the email, it's willbriandesign.com slash design partners with an S on partners. And then you guys can see, but you can follow Will. You can, I think we'll have to do a part two because the whole thing with your kids and how, why you chose Columbia and just all the other parts, I just love and I can't wait yeah. to hear that stuff. I would love to. I'd love to be able to tell that too. I think it would help a lot of people as well. I think what you did today was gave such a good, to me, actionable step that I can start doing. Instead of just trying to get these better clients, it's actually saying no because when you say yes to everything, you say no to something else. So I love it. Will, thank you so much. And you guys, just so you know, next week we have Dylan Minguez. Dylan is also going to teach us something. Can't wait. He also has done murals, but he's does he's an illustrator out of Columbus, Ohio. And anyway, we're bringing it. I hope you guys are ready. Dylan's going to teach us something as well. So I hope you guys will come for that live. And then I hope that you check out Will. He's super humble. But he's done some really amazing things. And I just never thought about like maybe honing down my client list and working with people also who would be able to make a bigger impact. I think it's uh, definitely I'm getting pushed in my brain about these things. Thank you so much for just bringing new knowledge to me. I love your passion for helping other people. And I'm just glad I'm your friend. So super thankful. Thank you. Thank you. It's been an honor very much. Uh, and it's great to see your face. And I can't wait to see everybody else when we do get to get back together for Creative South or literally anything in person. No, for <laughs> sure. I'm so with you. All right. We'll see you guys next with you. All right. We'll see you guys next. Ooh.